Welcome to Joyosity. I'm Jen Whitmer. I'm a speaker, consultant, and joy bringer, helping you create positive culture with complex people. Because listen, that's all we got. I'm thrilled you were here. So get yourself ready. Grab your multiple beverages, get your speaker, your headphones connected so we can dive in. True leadership requires more than just surface level strategies. It requires a profound connection to everything that makes us human. Each week, I have conversations with experts and leaders and you. If you're listening live, introduce yourself in the comments. Let us know where you are in the world and maybe what's in that mug on your desk. We're connecting as humans, remember? These conversations aren't just fun banter and information. Joyosity is so much more than a live show and a podcast. It's a movement, a space where we dare to explore the depths of our own hearts and minds, a liminal space where you are free to play around and beta test your own growth, sort of like a test kitchen lab for your leadership skills. It's where you discover that real joy has deep roots, a playground to find the hidden truths, the ideas waiting to be explored, and the untamed potential that lies within you. We're not just hanging out in idea land. We're talking about the best actions that develop you as a person and hone your skills as a leader. If you're an experienced leader or just starting out, Joyosity is the community for you. Join us every Monday live at 1 p.m. Eastern on LinkedIn and YouTube for a dose of inspiration and practical advice. Whether you are live in the comments or catching the podcast later, we're here to help you create a place where work is a joy, people are whole, and organizations flourish. Let's go. Good morning. Oh, you guys, today, today, I think I do need more coffee. If you ever doubted the show is live, I am here to prove it to you. Um, welcome to Joyosity. I am so excited about today's guest. We've been planning this for goodness months, I think. And Dimple Dabalia is just a delight of a human. She has spent her career serving people and helping immigrants and refugees, helping people who are in the federal government, working in service industries and humanitarian industries, supporting them in their growth and leadership. She was a senior advisor in the government and I will say it wrong. So I'm just not going to say it because I gave her a pay raise at one point that wasn't allowed. So I'm not going to do that today. But for you to listen today about her talking about how do we lead successfully without sacrificing ourselves. I think she has a phenomenal story that is full of pain and beauty. And she comes by this, not only from her own experience, but her expertise and study in this area. And she is an old friend of mine. We actually lived together in Oxford when we were studying. And so I am just so excited to introduce Dimple to you today. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. I'm so glad that you're here. Oh, I, I just, I am I can't believe we only have 20 minutes because I'm so excited <laughs> to ask you so many questions. But I always like to start with, just give the people a little bit of context about who you are. How did you arrive at this place from being an attorney to working in the government to now having your own business, helping and supporting others? Give us give us the story. Yeah. So the short version, short-ish version. <laughs> right, right. Um, yeah. So after law school, I worked for the attorney general's office in Colorado. Um Loved the job, but then ended up moving to California. 
um, was in private practice. It was not a good fit. Ended mm -hmm. up um, searching for other jobs. And I, I knew I wanted to do something what, which I refer to as like international human rights, but I wasn't sure what that looked like. Um, and I found the uh, a position online called Asylum Officer, um, which on paper was my dream job and actually in practice was my dream job. Um, and it just opened up a whole world of opportunity for me because I, um, I got the job and ended <laughs> up um, getting to sit with um, asylum seekers who are coming to the U.S. claiming persecution um, and basically bear witness to their stories every day and then, you know, make a determination on whether they should be granted asylum or not. And as a result of that, um, I had other opportunities to travel overseas um, to interview refugees as well, like actually in the field. Um, the result of that work, however, is that when you sit and listen to stories of trauma, other people's tra trauma and persecution and torture day in, day out, um, it can often impact our own mental health and well-being. And um, that's what happened to me on a trip um, in Zambia. And um, it was the, I was six years into my job, but it was the first time that I was sitting with people and I couldn't contain my own emotions. Mm -hmm. And um, I was having like, if it, like I couldn't sleep, but if I did sleep, I was having terrible nightmares where I was reliving their trauma, like the trauma I had heard during the day, things like that. And so I knew something was not right. Um, and because in my job as the, at the attorney general's office, we had talked, um, my boss had made us do some work around vicarious trauma, um, mm -hmm. because we, all of our cases there were um, related to child abuse and neglect. Um, I, I had that little like seed in my brain from all those years before, and I started looking into it. But the problem is that, um, as with most mental health, uh, nobody talks about it. So there's a lot mm -hmm. of people around it. And I really thought I was the only one going through this. Um, and so, uh, after a little bit of time, I started thinking about the fact that there had to be other people going through this. And I've never been one to shy away from speaking <laughs> up. And so um, I really started advocating from within the government. And so um, the last few years of my um, time in the government, I kind of pivoted internally to focus on um, workforce mental health and well-being um, and did that for about five years um, and then kind of hit that point where I knew that if I wanted to really make a bigger impact, um, I'd probably need to leave. And so that led me to starting my own uh, business where that's what I'm doing now is supporting people, uh, like mental health and well-being for uh, people doing this kind of work. So, yeah. So good. There's so many great things about your story, I think, that relate to people outside of just that one track. Well, first of all, I mean, if you're listening, have you ever started a job and you're like, wait, this isn't a fit and you had to switch? Like if you're in the comments, let me know. Uh, because I think we've all had that. Or like, oh, I thought this was going to be this and it's not. And there's a uh, there's some kind of stigma sometimes with that. Yeah. That, oh, I chose wrong or something. And what was, I think, amazing about your story is that you found it next. You're like, oh, this, this kind of thing. And then even in that place, it changed. So just because it was your dream job for a long time doesn't necessarily mean it stays that. And I think sometimes in work, we feel like 
it's changing a little bit, but oh, I picked wrong if it suddenly changes. And that's not necessarily true. You've got no. so your story is such good proof of that. Oh, thank you. But also, especially in leadership, right? Like, oh my God. Yes. I think that many of us who start out kind of doing the work and like in, you know, in the thick of it, like that's where we feel the most purpose and meaning and connection to the work. And as we move into these leadership positions and further away from the actual work of it, um, it, it does start to change and it, it can sometimes feel like it's not the right fit. And so um, I'm a firm believer that, you know, we, we continue to evolve in our careers. Right. And, uh, but I, I take your point. Like, I know it, it's very easy to fall into this place of, of shame and feeling like, you know, you're doing something wrong because something isn't a fit. But it, I've really started to, to, um, to kind of learn that it, it really means that there's something else out there that's probably going to fit better. Yeah. And change, like you just said, change happens and circumstances change. Personal circumstances change. Cultures change. I long time ago wrote an article that says, where did the party go? Because when a culture shifts, it feels like, wait, I was at the party and now the party moved. Yeah. <laughs> I don't understand. Yeah. And, and so those shifts and change happen and we can take on too much meaning about ourselves. And that actually really contributes to the way we approach our own mental health. Mm -hmm. moving into the next position. And so I kind of want to get to that part of our conversation. And if you, we talk a little bit about serving other people, like you are in a service job. I am a former educator, which is a service job, yeah. um, nurses. So like lots of people in healthcare and frontline workers are in these service industries where in my experience, the ethos is you lay down your life for that. Like the, the work is always more important than you. So can you tell me a little bit about your experience with that and how you are seeking to shift that narrative a little bit? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, I think it's interesting. So I talk about how um, I often talk about how like the the kind of legacy of the Industrial Revolution was this idea that we you know, um, standardize things and we yeah. create efficiencies and um, and almost like this. I, and, and this is where I think we get this feeling of, you know, you need to compartmentalize yourself and, you know, we don't need to know about your personal life. Like you're here to do your job and that's it. And granted, like I get it. I get that we have jobs because there's work that needs to be done. However, mm -hmm. having said that, I really think like we are whole human beings, right? Absolutely. You can yeah. say it again louder for the people. <laughs> <in> the <back. laughs> we are whole human beings and, and we don't leave a piece of ourselves at the door when we come to work each day. Mm -hmm. And so this idea, and, and I think what complicates it is um, <laughs> this idea of serving other people. So someone said to me, they're like, well, what if you're like, you know, like, what do you mean by service? And so I, I do think like, I, I want to clarify that when I'm talking about service, I'm talking about people who are, um, you know, doing work that is either, you know, helping to alleviate pain and suffering in the world or in some way trying to make it better. But the underlying like commonality between all these groups is that we're in service primarily of other human beings. Right. Mm -hmm. So um, even if you're doing like work with like an environmental NGO, at the end of the day, yes, you know, like the environment is about making it better. So like as human beings, like we can can live and thrive and flourish. Right. So when we are serving other human beings, it gets very complicated because mm -hmm. 
there's emotions involved. There's, you know, like being human is messy. And so to think that people can simply be of service um, and be compartmentalized and be it like, it's, it's been a recipe for disaster from the beginning. Absolutely. And it's been, it's become like the norm though. Right. So yeah. I know yeah. for me, and I, I won't speak for you, but like, um, maybe you had a similar experience, which is that we go into these positions believing that this is how we have to be. And that if we show any vulnerability or if we say, hey, you know what, I'm really struggling with this, that it somehow makes us weak or it makes us, um, you know, not able to do the job. Um, and when we're in that mind space, we also believe that we're the only ones going through that. Mm -hmm. um, it's and so isolating. It's so, so isolating. Yeah. And nobody's talking about it. Right. So mm -hmm. that adds another label uh, level of like shame and stigma to this whole thing where, um, you know, I, I need to show up. I need to do my job. I need to do it well. I need to do all these things. And not to mention that, you know, I'm a part of like the human community. So, <laughs> you know, if there's a pandemic or, you know, right? like I'm probably experiencing that as well. And yet mm -hmm. there's this ex, you know, this, this belief that I have to just show up and, and keep going. And it's, mm -hmm. it's a lot, it's a lot to put on any one person. It's a lot to put on any one group of people. And that's why I really think like that that's the part that I've been advocating for is I think that um, historically, when we think about an idea of like a duty of care yeah. in a lot of these types of organizations. And, and I liked what you said, you know, when I talk about humanitarian, people often think about like, you know, the people out in the like war zones and, and, and whatnot. But uh, humanitarians are teachers, they're activists, they're caregivers, they're healthcare professionals. And so I think that in these kinds of organizations, and so many more, um, but in these organizations, duty of care has typically been about our physical safety and security. And, or and, an extra. Or just what? an extra. Yeah. It's just extra. If it's not just about that, it's kind of extra. Exactly. Exactly. And I really think that there is an obligation that if we're talk to go back to this ethos, if you're an organization with a mission and an ethos of serving and protecting other people, why wouldn't you be doing that for your own people? You mm -hmm. know? And so I think that there needs to be a duty of care that's holistic and that addresses the whole person, you know, that, uh, that uh, considers not just our physical health and well-being, if it does that at all, <laughs> but also, um, you know, our mental health, our, our, our uh, relational health, um, our spiritual health. And, and again, spiritual, not necessarily being religious, but like, um, you know, that sense of um, feeling that sense of uh, purpose and commitment and, and that. So to something greater than who we are. Yeah. Um, you know, that's part of part of my definition of joy is a connection, intense happiness that comes from a connection to something greater than yourself. Yeah. Like it's not just about you and it's still some about me. Like yeah, I still yeah. have to be the human involved in that. And when I'm, you know, doing keynotes or working with organizations, it's like the robots aren't doing the work. Like it is the human that exactly. is bringing their creativity and bringing that space. And I mean, just as a quick story for me this past week, it has been, I had a friend who recently passed away. That grief has, th thank you. That grief has just been sitting. Uh, I keep saying it's coming down. It's no longer at my eyes. You know, it's like coming down a little bit but that it takes up so much space. And I had to, to do a few things just really drastically to kind of get myself together 
to care for myself in order to do the work that I do. I couldn't show up and deliver as a coach and deliver as a consultant for my client if I didn't take a little bit to care for myself in that way. So I think the backwards thinking is that compartmentalized thinking that we, okay, what if we just treated people like they're widgets, like the industrial revolution, rather than, oh, you're a whole person. If we care for you, then the work actually is better. Yeah. Like that backwards thinking. And I think about the word compartmentalize. And I know there are times where we have to safeguard and put things over. Sure. Yeah. That happens. But in general, when we think about all the words that describe us when we are in pain or not doing well, they're all about things that are broken. I feel shattered. I feel scattered. I feel like things are falling apart. All of these things are about compartmentalizing Mm -hmm. rather than the wholeness of who we are as a person yeah. bringing that into the workplace. So how do you help somebody who's in that space? You're like, oh, this is what I'm living in. I'm living in a place where I'm experiencing either that secondary trauma or I'm experiencing a workplace that is asking more than I can give. How do you, what are your suggestions for people in that space? And then I want to ask, how do you help the leaders create that a better space? So first of the person that's sitting in it. Yeah. So um, it's a great question. And it it's really like, to me, it all comes down to creating uh, or cultivating self-awareness and self-compassion. Absolutely. Um, so it's all based in like mindful awareness. So mm-hmm. a lot of people, when they hear the word mindful, and I know mindful has been like overused in so many contexts, but I'm not talking about sitting on a cushion and meditating all day. <laughs> um, which, by the way, meditation is incredible, but right. Um, yeah. <laughs> but the whole point, but and people don't realize this, but the whole point of meditation is to be able to take it off the cushion and into our day-to-day lives, right? Absolutely. And so I like to tell people, um, or like when I work with um uh organizations and leaders and whatnot, like we talk about this idea of notice, name, and navigate. Mm-hmm. So, you know, start to just take a little bit of time to be intentional because we operate on autopilot for the bulk of our day, right? Mm -hmm. Um, Like we are present, like in the present moment, um, about 47% of the day, Mm -hmm. which means that about half of our day, like it's just, we've missed it. So so with that in mind, like we have to really be intentional. And so the Mm -hmm. more that we can start to notice, you know, number one, like our reactions to things, um, notice what emotions are coming up. And a lot of times we focus on the surface level emotions, um, but we have to dig a little bit deeper, you know, because usually the surface is just, um, what we can see, but there's something rooted under that. Um, and, you know, and then notice like what, what, how other people are reacting. So starting to notice your surroundings, things like that. Um, and then the self-compassion piece, um, self-compassion, I think is one of the most important tools that we have, um, Mm -hmm. for taking care of ourselves and for taking care of others because, um, so self-compassion is basically being kind to ourselves, which sounds so like, Okay, what you know? What, that's <laughs> I know deal. it sounds a little like out here and a yeah, little exactly. But it's not. It's actually action. It's it's action, and it's so challenging because mm-hmm. we have an inherent negativity bias. We will forever be finding all the things that are wrong with ourselves, with everybody else, and so you know. But we have the capacity to rewire our brains and practicing 
this awareness, practicing compassion are the things that can help us start to rewire our brains. And I'm, I, this is like, I'm saying this at a very high level. It's a, it's sure. more complex mm -hmm. than this, but, um, but, but we have the capacity to do that. And so those are the two things that I really recommend to individuals because those two things together are what ultimately help us to self-regulate in the moment so that yeah. when our nervous system is off track and we're in fight, flight, freeze, fix, fake, um, mm -hmm. we can come back, uh, and, and, um, you know, uh, engage the other side of our nervous system so that we can actually be in rest and digest and be able to think rationally and do the things that we need to do because more often than not, we're not actually in danger, you know? Right, right. But our body doesn't, I, when I teach on burnout and stress and managing that stress cycle, I was like, our body doesn't know the difference between the hippo charging us and a hard conversation. Exactly. You know, like, exactly. we have to practice having that muscle outside. So when I was a swimmer in high school, we would lift weights in the winter because our, our season was in the spring and we weren't lifting weights just to lift weights. It was so when I got in the pool, mm -hmm. I had the strength to do the work. And that is what I think of, of self-awareness work. You exactly. have to do it when things are not stressful. So you have the muscle when your nervous system is there, you're like, oh, wait, this is how I respond. I know that I respond to disappointment. I can feel it in the back of my jaw. That is always a clue. I'm like, oh, okay. But I didn't know that until I had to practice that self-awareness. Exactly. Exactly. And, and that kind of work. And oh my gosh. Okay. So I'm looking at the time. <laughs> I do. I would, uh, we're just going to have to come back. We're going to have to come back. <laughs> we didn't even get to talk about the leader um, who wants to make that change. I think, first of all, I would say the leader has to start with themselves first. 100%. Yeah. So that's the point of what I was saying with the individual is like, yeah. uh, our organizations aren't going to save us anytime soon. Nope. Um, and so we have to start with ourselves. And really, the more people that are starting with themselves and making these changes, the more likely we change organizations because yeah. organizations can't change until the people within them do. So. Absolutely. I was doing a podcast uh, with some friends a couple of weeks ago, and they had read an old article of mine called uh, Rested People. I said, um, Rested People Change the World. And so we had this whole conversation about rest and sleep and just more about genuine self-care. Um, I do love a good bubble bath, but that's not actual self-care yeah. in that way. But, you know, rest people who are self-aware start to change organizations and, and, and um, that is how change happens over time. So, yeah. oh my gosh, Dimple, you have so much more than we could talk for forever. We didn't even get to talk about our mutual love for Ted Lasso and your podcast. <laughs> um, but I would love to share people, would you tell them about your book that is coming out? It is, I have had the treat of reading it. Um, I'm not going to say how many times I cried and how much I underlined <laughs> in it, but it's really good. So tell us about, tell us about your book and, and how people can find it. Thank you. Yeah. So my book is called um, Tell Me My Story, uh, Challenging the... Uh, oh my gosh. How did I just forget my own thing? Uh, <laughs> tell Me My Story, challenging, this, <laughs> challenging the Narrative of Service Before Self. Sorry. Um, and the underlying premise of it is that when we choose these careers in service of, um, of other humans, um, it shouldn't be at a cost to our own health and well-being. Mm -hmm. And um, so the the book is written in kind of memoir. It's it's my story and um, how I went through that process. And the last part, though, so that those are the first five parts, and they follow kind of what I call the story healing cycle. 
-hmm. And so it's this idea that our stories go like regularly go through this process where we have stories that shape us and shape our views, create the lens through which we experience the world. We have our surviving stories, um, which is basically how we react and protect ourselves. Um, and then we have like seeing, which is a shift and it becomes like the moment where we start to notice, like it's that notice piece of the notice name and navigate. Um, and then shifting, which is where we actually, um, you know, not only just see it, but we can actually now make a new choice that's going to better serve us. And then the last piece, which is important is sharing, because again, this idea that we're not alone in what we're going through, but also, uh, there's a lot of power and healing in being able to speak about our pain and our shame and other things. And so, um, so those are the first five parts of the book, but then part six is actually a manifesto and, um, and the manifesto is really just about this idea that, you know, we are doing as humanitarians, we are doing this work, um, but we are no longer willing to sacrifice all these other parts of our lives to be able to keep doing this work. And then mm -hmm. it's also asking us to, uh, you know, take care of ourselves first and do these things for ourselves so that we can then hold organizations accountable um, for doing the same within the workplace. So uh, yeah, I'm really excited about it. Um, you can get more information about the book on my website. It is going to publish um, <laughs> on uh, February 21st, but pre-sales will be starting uh, December 9th. Um, and I'll be looking for people to join my launch team. So definitely head to the website and um, sign up to get more information about that as well. So great. Can you tell us the name of the website? Yeah, it's Roots in the Clouds. Great. Yep. Rootsinthecloud.com. So yep. Dibble has lots of other resources there. We have not even scratched the surface. Like I think we put a little dent, <laughs> you know, like maybe in all of the goodness that you have to offer us in this area. And I'm just so grateful that you are doing this work in the world. And um, I love that. I get to do it alongside you a little bit. So likewise, likewise. So lovely. So lovely. Yeah. Um, thank you for being here. And if you are new, welcome to Joyosity. We are here live every week at 1 p.m. Eastern on LinkedIn and YouTube. And you can catch the podcast next week. Um, and next week on Joyosity Live on Monday, Kwame Christian will be here talking about the stories that we tell ourselves about that awareness in hard conversations. He's a negotiation expert among another, all kinds of other things that he does. So he will be here next week. So thank you again, Dimple, for being thank here. You. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Join us next week, everybody. See you later. So let me put my coach hat on for just a sec. Don't just leave this here. Take a moment. What did you learn? What's your next tiny action step? Share this episode with someone and tell them. Connect with us to keep this conversation going. As always, I'm Jen Whitmer. Thank you for listening to Joyosity. I don't take for granted that your earballs have a lot of information coming at you. Please take a moment to rate and subscribe. It really helps more people join us in creating positive culture with complex people. So work is a joy, people are whole, and organizations flourish. Can't wait for you to join us next week.